worthy of all honor, Father. We choose to honor you, Father. We choose to worship you, Father. Father, you're the only one worthy. Father, there's no men, Father, worthy to be worshipped. Father, there's no country, Father, worthy to be worshipped. You alone, Father, are worthy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Worthy, Father. Father, worthy because of the things that you've done. Thank you, Father. Worthy of all glory. Because of the things that you've done. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You've shown yourself strong in our lives. Father, you've shown us yourself strong, Father, in our midst. Father, you direct our paths. Protect us, Father. Watch over us. Father, you assign your angels to us. Your spirit leads us, Father, into all safety and protection and blessing. Thank you, Father. You're worthy. Worthy, Father. Worthy, Father. Worthy, Father. Father, you are worthy. And Father, you're good. And your mercy endures forever. Father, you are good. And your mercy endures forever. Thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your great kindness, Father. You are great. And greatly to be praised, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Father, we give you praise and honor for these things. We thank you for them, Father. And Father, we give you all the praise for all the wonderful things you've done for us and all the wonderful things you will do for us. And we thank you for them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? He's good, you know. I, I was just reminded of a verse. I know we know this verse well. Uh, you know, you're kind of required by law if you're in the faith camp and the charismatic world that you kind of have to know this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But I was just thinking about it. You know, we're giving glory for all the things that he's done. But it says here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. Uh, but that doesn't stop there. It is unto the glory of God by what? By us. Amen. So the way that uh, one of the greatest ways that we can give God the glory is by obtaining his promises. That when we obtain his promise, whatever that promise is, then he gets glory. And if you go through the Gospels, any time that somebody was healed, they would give God glory. So they were just fulfilling what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. They received the promise and then God got glory because of the work that God did in their lives. Uh, there were no cases where people got sick and then gave God glory. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm sick for the glory of God. No, you need to get healed for the glory of God. Because it's the reception of the promise that gives God the glory. That, uh, because it, 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 he's getting the glory by us. So he needs us for him to get glory. Amen. Uh, you know, we're not the only way that we can get glory because... The very rocks will cry out and worship him if, if we don't. Uh, but one of the ways that God gets glory uh, by us is by us receiving his promises. So when they received the promise of healing, then who got the glory? God got the glory, didn't he? Amen. Uh, and when you receive promises in your life, who, who gets the glory? Well, God gets the glory. Amen. 
So you should be pursuing to get as many promises fulfilled in your life as you possibly can so that God gets the, mo the most glory he possibly can. Uh, that's what the, the verse says right there, right? All the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So it's necessary for us to be part, uh, uh, to be part of this verse, isn't it? Amen. And so praise God. So, so you get, uh, God gets glory and you get the promise. Pretty sweet deal, right? Uh, and so if you just get death and destruction, that's not much of a promise and God gets no glory. So nobody wins in, in that scenario. Amen. Uh, and so we have been talking about um, uh, the, oh, the overcoming power of God. And so let's read our, our founda, foundation scripture there in John chapter 16. Uh, and he says uh, in verse 33, the very last verse of that chapter says, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. So we need to stay in Jesus. Amen. You know, sometimes the church, they want to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And you're never going to have full peace if, you, if you're doing that because only in him. Uh, so if you're in him, everywhere you look around, uh, you see him. Amen. Uh, and so if you're outside of him, if you're if you're one foot in the world and one foot in the, in, in the Lord, you can look in one direction and see the Lord, but you might look in another direction and see the world. And much of the church, they struggle with uh, not being 100% for God. Uh, you know, they want to be like maybe 49% for God or maybe all the way to 51% for God, you know. But, you know, keep a little bit of the world because that way they, they have keep their options open. Amen. Uh, and uh, you're never going to be fully at peace unless you're fully in the Lord. Amen. Uh, because that's where peace comes from. Real peace comes from being in the Lord. So he said, in me, you might have peace, but in the world, you shall have tribulation. Well, who wants to be in the world, right? Uh, of course, we're, we're, we reside on this earth, so there is tribulation all around us. Uh, but he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So whatever tribulation is in the world, because that's where the tribulation is, has Jesus overcome that? He has. So if he's overcome that, don't we have the capacity to overcome it? So is there any tribulation that is coming into your life that you do not have the capacity to overcome? No. Is there any tribulation that's in your life that Jesus hasn't already overcome? There's nothing in your life that he hasn't already overcome. It's past tense, right? He's not waiting for that tribulation to come into your life, and then he's going to do something about it. Uh, from the, from the, and you'll have to ask God how that works. I don't know how that works, but it's already done. It was done at the cross. It was done when the last drop fell from the Lord Jesus on the cross. Then the payment for... The victory of overcoming the entire world was completed. Amen. Well, we get to take advantage of that. We get to live a, a life as Christians who uh, we can go for days, months, weeks and years uh, and never notice, a, never know to, uh, or have a single defeat in our lives. Uh, and technically, you could go all of your life without any defeat. But, you know, reality happens sometimes. And, you know, sometimes we blink or we fall asleep or, you know, we don't pay enough attention and. Uh, you know, sometimes things happen, but uh, we have the, the capacity, the potential, the, the blessing, if we choose to, to live a life of complete victory, uh, live a life of complete peace, right? Uh, he said, be of good cheer. So uh, the promises that we have in here, uh, we can have complete peace, uh, we can have complete cheer, and we can have complete victory. That's pretty good uh, promises in one verse, right? And we just read in Second Corinthians one twenty, all the promises of God are in him, yes. So when we read this verse, well, Lord, can I have this peace? Then what's the answer? Well, the answer is yes. Can I be of good cheer? What's the answer? 
Well, the answer is yes, because that's what he said. All the promises of God are in him or because of what he's done are in him. Yes. Uh, and in him. Amen. Uh, in other words, so be it. Right. That's word. Amen means so be it. Right. It means this is this is the way it's going to be. And that's the way it is. Uh, in the world, you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. Well, Lord, can I have good cheer? Uh, the answer is yes. Right. And he said, I have overcome the world. Well, then, Lord, can I overcome the world? Then what's the answer to that question? The answer is always yes. Right. Uh, all the promises of God are in him. Uh, yes. And in him. Amen. Amen. Uh, and so uh, that's a pretty good promise. Amen. Uh, I think it's a pretty good promise. And, you know, you can, anytime you find a promise in the word of God, uh, I always ask the question, Lord, does that belong to me? And of course, I know the answer to that, but it's good to ask yourself that question, because then then instead of saying, well, uh, a lot of times we'll read a promise and, and we just think without really uh, applying faith to it. Well, wouldn't it be nice to live that way? Wouldn't it be nice to live at peace? But people can't do that. You, nobody can actually live in all peace. But is that what the word of God says? The word of God says you can be at peace, right? Is that if that's what the word of God says, then you can have that. So it's good to ask yourself the question, Lord, can I be at peace all the time? Uh, and the answer is yes. Now, sometimes you have to figure out, well, how do I get from here to there? Right. You may not be in peace right now. Uh, you may not be in full cheer right now. You may not have you may not have overcome the world. But if you see that as your goal, well, Lord, I can't be there. Uh, and, and a lot of times uh, in the church, we need to develop the hope of the word of God. So we need to find out what the word of God says. And well, Lord, you know, and I've talked to the Lord about that many times in my life. You know, Lord, I see your promise here. But in my life, I feel like I'm so far from that promise. You know, I'm here and I see the end of that promise way over there. But I don't leave myself. I don't stay there and go, well, you know, I guess it'll never happen. The next thing I always say is, Lord, how are we going to get there? Because it's going to be his grace is going to get me from where I am to where I desire to be because his word promised I can be there. Even if I'm not there, uh, I can still get there. Uh, and, and there's so many times when, uh, when I've seen my life is not uh, lined up with the promises and the potential of the promises of the word of God. And then I apply faith to get there. And you know, you're never going to start if, if you don't take the first step. The first step is to, is to confess, well, Lord, I can have that promise. I can have everything that promise uh, says that I can have. If it's if the promise is peace and that's what the John 16, 33 says, I can have peace. And if I'm not at peace, then my first step is, Lord, then I can have the peace of God. Your your word promised that I can have the peace of God. I'm going to have the, the peace of God. Uh, and I don't have to figure out how I don't have to figure out when I don't have to figure out what steps I got to do. I just have to start confessing, Lord, I'm going to have this promise in my life. Uh, and a lot of times it's and it's been that way in my life that that promise will start being fulfilled and I don't really notice it. You know, you just, you ever notice you just wake up one day, you know, Lord, I hadn't realized I've been feeling better for the last month. I didn't even know I was feeling better, you know, because you, uh, you feel so bad for so long. It's kind of normal and then it starts waning and you start feeling better. And you kind of have to notice that all of a sudden you're, you're better, even though that's been progressing all along according to your faith. So, you know, if you want any of the promises of God, your first step is always start confessing that you can have that. Uh, because so many times people's words defeat them. Uh, well, you can't have peace. You know, you don't know what my life is like. There's no way you can have peace in my life. Uh, and people say things like that. And what they're saying is the word of God, uh, that, uh, the word of God that Jesus spoke uh, is not sufficient to, to operate in my life. Uh, that's pretty harsh condemnation against the word of God. But uh, is that a true statement? That's not true. The word of God is always capable of operating in your life. Uh, but see, 
You need to have the hope, Lord, I can get there. That, see, that's a lot of times that's the hope, I can, Lord, I can get there. Uh, and, and see, if you don't have the hope, you're never going to get there. Uh, and so you, you should start reading the Word of God to make sure that uh, anywhere that you see that you're not in alignment with the Word of God, that you can then uh, line yourself up with the Word of God by getting the hope first and saying, Lord, I can get there. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there have been times and seasons in my life uh, years ago, uh, just thinking about one particular situation, we're just dealing with a lot of things. And, and I knew, Lord, I have to overcome this. I had no idea how to overcome it. But I just I, I found the verses that, that helped me in that particular situation. And I would get up every day. Lord, I have this verse. I have this verse operating in my life. I have this verse operating in my life. Uh, and, and I just determined, Lord, I don't know how long it's going to take. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen. Uh, and, you know, there's there's enough of that uh, uh, that gumption that we need in our lives that that uh, it, it's going to take that to get to the end of your promise. Amen. To get to the where the promise is operating in your life so that you can really be at peace all the days of your life. Amen. But a lot of times we try, well, you know, I, I know I talked I told you I talked to uh, one person one time and, you know, they, they had financial disaster in their life all the time, you know. Uh, and and um, I said, well, you know, the Bible talks about the promises of tithing, right? If you tithe and give offerings and he'll open the very windows of heaven, and he'll rebuke, rebuke the devourer for your sake. You know, a lot of promises about giving, right? If, if you're having financial problems. Now, and they came to me and said, well, I've tried it for a week and, and nothing's happened. Now, they haven't been doing it for like 50 years, right? So you've not been doing it for 50 years. You tried it for, for five days. And, and nothing's changed. Well, it, have the same, have the same goal to where you didn't do it for fifty years. I ain't doing it. You know, do it for fifty years and then see what happens, right? You come back in fifty years and tell me if you've been tithing for fifty years. Uh, then, then tell me what's happening, right? Don't try it for for five days and go, well, ain't it ain't working, you know? Uh, but uh, people do that all the time. You know, well, I tried it like all afternoon. Nothing's happened, you know. I tried it, you know, through lunch, you know. I fasted my cookie for lunch, you know, uh, not even a whole meal, just my cookie. Right. Uh, and, and it didn't work, you know, uh, you know, it's uh, be careful when you say the word of God doesn't work because the, the, you're accusing the Lord of not being honest, um, you know, uh, and it's the hardest thing for people sometimes to be honest about their own lives. It's not the word of God doesn't work. It's that you're not working the word of God. You know, he uh, faith. Uh, is active faith requires action on your part faith requires you to speak and to do and to believe amen it, it's not passive it doesn't just well it, it's not the sovereignty of god your faith belongs to you right it comes from the lord but it still belongs to you right it's your faith i live by the faith of the son of god uh and so uh, uh paul talked about your faith can can grow exceedingly and so it's your faith given to you by god what are you going to do with it what are you going to use it for uh, what are you using it for right now? If everything's in the sovereignty of God, where he's just going to do it or not do it, uh, then what's, what's your purpose of your faith? What do you use your faith for? If God's going to do it, whether you believe him in doing it or not, then what do you, need, what do you even need faith for at all? Uh, that, that's, you know, that, that whole concept uh, in the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and pushing everything in the sovereignty of God has probably done more disservice to the body of Christ than just about any other doctrine. Because it removes faith for healing, removes faith for victory, removes faith for salvation. Uh, you know, because a lot of them believe that, well, you're either saved or not saved, and that it's in God's desire and God's plan. Uh, if you're not on the list, it's too bad. Well, what if I want to get saved? Uh, you can't. Because God's already decided who's going to get saved and who's not going to get saved. 
you know, that's, the, that's Calvinism, right? That's, uh, uh, John Calvin came up with that, that uh, theory. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's just such a, uh, I mean, just such a dumb doctrine. How does somebody get famous for making a dumb doctrine? You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, uh, kindergarten doctrine. It doesn't make any sense, right? And yet he's this famous person and whole schools follow him and he's got all these books and stuff. Yeah, and, and much of his doctrine is like, well, that doesn't even make any sense. You know, I mean, it's just from the word of God doesn't make any sense. People of faith look at a doctrine. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, you know. Uh, and yet people believe that. Uh, and a lot of times it's many times it's educated people that are educated faith right out of their lives. Uh, and so but you can still be uneducated and have dumb doctrine, too. Right. It's just just seems like it, people that, that are really educated can can really pursue exceptionally dumb doctrine right i mean just you know phd level dumb doctrine right uh, and they do that uh, and, and yet so they push everything in the sovereignty of god because it's convenient then they're, they're not required to have any faith remember what jesus said when i come back to the earth uh, uh, what am i gonna, uh, am i going to find what will i find faith that's what he said am i going to find faith when i come to the earth uh, lord i you know uh, i don't need faith because you're going to need to do it or not do it well then you know what he's going to find He's not going to find faith, right? He's going to find dumb doctrine. And you know what he's going to say? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Uh, and so, because uh, you can't go through the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the best doctrines you can learn in the word of God is the understanding that God has given you a free will. And you have a choice to how you live every day. You have a choice of how much victory you have in your life every day. That's your free will. Uh, now, the power to live that way comes from the word of God and his spirit. Amen. The ability to do that, to live a life of complete, total victory, comes from God. But it's your choice whether you have that or not. Uh, it's your choice whether you allow the, the promises of the Word of God to operate in your life. And if you can understand the importance of your free will in your walk with the Lord and how, how exceptionally important that is to, to know that God will never do anything that violates your will. Well, he, he never heals me. You know what you just said? Then, Lord, don't ever come to my doorstep with healing. And you know what he won't do? He won't ever come to your doorstep with healing uh, because he would it would require him to violate your will. It would require him to over to step over your will and say, you do not have a choice in the matter. I'm going to do this whether you like it or not. Uh, and the Lord will never do that. Uh, and, and, you know, it, and that goes from every single person who goes to heaven and every single person who doesn't go to heaven. Everything is de determined by your choice. Amen. Uh, your eternal destiny is by your choice, not by God. It's by your choice. He's already set it all up. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's never going back. Uh, he, everything that's going to be done for salvation of the earth has already been done. Amen. Not a single drop of blood is ever going to be shed again uh, for the salvation of the earth. It's already done. And so all God is waiting on is for the decisions of men, for men to decide to follow him. And so he's not uh, people, you know, a loving God would never send anybody to hell. You know how many people God has sent to hell? It's zero, right? The answer is zero. It's always been zero, always will be zero. Uh, and, and so he's not, everybody's in hell is there by their choice. Now they'll lie, I didn't choose this. You chose that, amen? Because uh, everybody gets a choice. Nobody is without a choice. Well, how about some guy in the Amazon jungle? He's got a choice. Well, how, how do you know he's got a choice? Because the Bible said he's got a choice. Uh, and so everybody gets to make a choice. Nobody's without a choice. Because the Bible says that even creation says that there's a God. Um, God in heaven and so so there's always a choice amen so uh, to overcome then uh, we've been going through and looking at the example that, that the Lord Jesus gave to us in the book of Revelation he went and, and uh, told John about seven different churches uh, and uh, what they need to do to overcome 
Uh, and so some of them, you know, uh, were, we finished the first five of them. And up to up till now, all of them had some good points and all of them had some bad points. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of them were, were you know, uh, like the church at Ephesus. He said, well, you've left your first love. So, you know, that that should be fairly easy to recover from. Right. I mean, that you can do recover from that because uh, sometimes you ever gotten busy in your life and, you know, you used to pray every day or read your Bible every day. And, and then, you know, you got busy in life and you haven't read your Bible in, in months, you know, and uh, you go open up the book and, it's, you know, it creaks when you open up the Bible and, you know, maybe a moth flies out of or something, you know. Uh, and, and so uh, sometimes you leave your first love because of life and not because you're, you're deciding, well, I'm, you know, God's unimportant. Uh, it's it just life, you know, happens. And churches, churches find themselves doing, doing that all the time. They have a core vision the Lord gave to them. And then life happens. You know, they get busy doing all kinds of things that, that are not, none of them are sinful necessarily, just things, right? And they wake up one day and hey, well, Lord, we've not been doing the things you, you called us to do. Uh, and that's what he told the whole church at Ephesus, that they weren't doing the things that God had called them to do. He said, go back and find your first love. Uh, and, and from what we can see, it's their first love was faith in God and, and increasing in faith. Uh, and so he went through the, we went through the five different churches. And you remember four of them, he said, here's some good things, here's some bad things. And then the fifth one, the, the church at Sardis, he said, well, here's some bad things. And, you know, he dealt with the bad things first. And then he dealt with the good things. Uh, and so... So they're a little, they're all a little different, right? About uh, and so if you're if your bad is outweighing the good, the Lord may come talk to you about your bad things first, right? And so, uh, you know, if he starts out with, "Hey, you've done a pretty good job," you know, you're walking in faith, you know, uh, okay, that's a pretty good way to start, right? But if he says, "Hey, you got to straighten up," you know, you ain't doing right. Well, Lord, is is this how's it going to end, right? Uh, and so he did that with the church at Sardis, right? Uh, and a lot of these things. He's he's telling them uh, similar things, right? Not every single one is the same, but there are some common uh, some common uh, things that they told him to do. One of them is to remember, uh, and it's always good to remember. Amen. It's always good to remember what God has said to you. Always good to remember what God has done for you. Uh, to remind yourself, but you know it's also good to remember what other men and women of old uh, of times past have told us about the Lord. Uh, you know one of, one of the things that I, I see common and in every new generation of Christians. So it's not just this new generation of Christians. It's every time a new generation of Christians comes up, they think, I've gotten all by myself. All these people, are from, they're all old and dead, right? They, they have nothing to add to my life. Uh, that's a sad place to be, amen? Uh, you know, I, I remember Brother Hagen talking about trying to, trying to understand the distinction between spirit, soul, and body. And, and why does the Bible use uh, the word pneuma for the spirit and, and suke for the soul. Why, why you know, why is there there? Because Hebrews tells us that, that the word of God is, is alive and active, sharp and two-edged sword, able to divide asunder soul and spirit. So it's able to divide asunder soul and spirit or, or make a distinction between soul and spirit. So there must be a difference between soul and spirit. And we're not going to talk about soul and spirit today so much. Uh, but, you know, some, some uh, denominations only believe that, that man is, is, a, is a body and spirit. That soul is the same thing as a spirit. Uh, and yet, it's not the way at all. And Brother Hagin said he spent 30 years trying to figure it out. He'd go ask people, hey, what's the difference between soul and spirit? I thought they were the same. What's the difference between soul and spirit? I, you know, I didn't, uh, as far as I can tell, they're the same. But why would the Hebrews tell us that, that the word of God is necessary to separate the two to understand the distinction between two uh, if, it, if, they're not, if, they're, if they're the same? 
So there are, they are different. And the, the distinction between two is very important, right? That we know that the spirit of man is the part of you that gets born again, made in the image likeness of God, sealed by the Holy Ghost until the day of redemption. The soul of man is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Uh, it's the part that has to be renewed every day, right? Uh, to be renewed according to the word of God. So it's not recreated like your spirit man is. Your spirit man is born again, recreated, but your soul is renewed. Uh, in, in other words, it has to be lined up on a regular basis with the word of God. Uh, and then your body contains your, the sin nature and, and uh, will have to be redeemed uh, at some point in the future to get a glorified body. So uh, and if you look at uh, if we look at the whole the doctrine of redemption, we understand that the, the payment for redemption was completed at the cross. But we're not fully redeemed yet. We're fully redeemed by faith. But, uh, you know, our spirits are fully redeemed. Our souls are being uh, renewed day by day. But someday we'll get the full redemption of our bodies. Now, and then that's when redemption will be fully uh, manifested in our, in our lives. So right now our spirits are, are fully manifested in the redemption. But our bodies are not been started at all. Other than just the general faith of healing. Uh, and so that, that's in the future. Uh, and so it took Brother Hagin, he said, 30 years to, to figure it out. And once he figured it out, it all makes sense to us, people of faith. Oh, yeah, yeah, spiritual body. Oh, we know all about that, right? Uh, and so, uh, well, he, he spent 30 years of his life trying to figure that out. We should remember that. Amen. And it's not so much important that we, that we give him credit for it. It's just that that knowledge, we didn't obtain that on ourselves, right? We didn't get that by ourselves. We got that because somebody else spent time in revelation, spent time in prayer to get that uh, and so uh, here we are then at the church of philadelphia the sixth church so the seven churches uh, and we're in the sixth church here uh, and so uh, let's read here in the book of revelation chapter three it says in verse seven and to the angel of the church in philadelphia right uh, so there are angels assigned to churches right uh, there are angels assigned to this particular church uh, and their job is to protect this church, watch over this church, make sure it, it has all, all the stuff that it needs from the Lord to accomplish its vision and goal that the Lord has assigned to this ministry. Uh, and ha did angels stop uh, being assigned to churches just because the book of Revelation was finished being written? No. So there's angels uh, here in this church. Uh, and so, in fact, I don't know if you remember when Brother, Ray, Brother Randy was here when he was holding his conference here at the church. Uh, it was, I think it was a Wednesday night that uh, he, he was speaking uh, and, and uh, he said he saw an angel standing right here. Now, I was standing right there, so he wasn't looking at me. You know, I, I look like an angel, but, you know, uh, it was he saw an angel here in our church right there. Uh, and uh, now I don't know if that particular angel was was here as being uh, the angel that's assigned to this ministry. If it was a, uh, assigned, you know, the, remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew about the children and their angels that uh, you as an individual have angels assigned to you and he'll be with you all of your life. Uh, and you may need one, one, you may need more than one. I don't know. It depends on what you're called to do and where you're at. Uh, but you'll have at least one angel assigned to you all the days of your life. Amen. Uh, and, you know, some people believe angels only drive at 55 miles an hour, right? So if you drive 56, you leave your angel behind. I don't think that happens. You know, you know you'll have to talk to the Lord about that. Uh, and uh, we did do an, uh, a, a study on angels once uh, a while back. Maybe we'll have to go back and, and uh, readdress that and um, uh, look at some more details about angels because there, are, there is a ministry of angels in the earth today. Uh, they are active in our lives today. Amen. Uh, and so, so he said to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, right, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true. 
He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth it. Uh, so who's doing the opening and closing? God's doing it, right? Uh, well, if he's doing it on your behalf, didn't the Bible say that he would lead us and guide us in all truth? So uh, can we know when God is opening and closing things? We can know when God is opening and closing things, right? Do we determine that by what we observe in the natural realm? Or by what we observe in our spirit man? We should, we should know it by what we observe in our spirit man. Well, Lord, uh, you've closed that door. I'm not going to go through that door. A lot of times we'll go to the door and it's locked. I guess, I guess God doesn't want me to go through that door. Maybe he wants you to pick the lock. Maybe he wants you to kick the door down. Maybe he wants you to command that door to open up in the name of Jesus. You know, uh, So we don't determine uh, open and closed doors of the Lord based on what we observe in the natural realm. We, uh, we determine them by what we know in the spirit realm. Amen. Uh, and so be careful about saying, well, you know, if the door is locked, I guess God didn't want you to go through that door. Maybe he did. Maybe the door is just a hindrance to you and you've got to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, so be careful about changing what the word of God says. Because if, if he opens it, no man can shut it. If he shut it, no man can, can open it. He said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. Uh, for thou hast a little strength and hath kept my word and hath not denied my name. So, uh, well, we'll keep on. We'll, we'll read all that he says about them and then we'll come back and look at uh, some specifics about it. He said, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and they are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I have also kept thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, in the name of uh, the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from, from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear to hear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the church at Philadelphia, nothing bad, right? They didn't, he didn't say, well, you're, you remember one of the church, well, you're with Jezebel, you know, get rid of Jezebel, you know, told the Ephesians that they uh, lost their first love and told the church at Sardis, remember you have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead, you know. Uh, at Philadelphia, uh, pretty much is good things, you know. They did, they must be doing pretty good. Anybody know what the, uh, uh, the word Philadelphia means? Uh, it means city of what? brotherly love right that's where it comes from right so philia is the greek word for love uh and, and uh i guess delphi is is uh, a city uh and so uh philadelphia is a city of brotherly love amen uh and so this is the church there that uh um, the church of walking in love and he said uh, uh he said i know thy works uh that i have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it uh and so he knows the works you know, and now he said he said that pretty much to, to nearly every one of the churches. I know what you're doing. You know, he knows what you're doing. Uh, and, you know, that would, if you would remember that, that he knows everything that you're doing, that would keep a lot of stuff from going on. You know, everything you say, he, he knows that, right? Everything you do, you know, he knows that, right? Uh, and, you know, that would help a lot of Christians to stay on the straight and narrow a little bit more. I've, I can't tell you how many times people have told me, well, you just need to do that. I'm thinking, I'll have to answer to the Lord Jesus for that. There's no way I could do that. You know, I don't answer to people. I answer to him. And, and, and I don't want to, you know, because he knows my works. Doesn't he know your works? 
uh, if he knows my works, he knows their works, he knows your works too. And so be careful about, um, uh, about, the, uh, about what you do uh, because he, he's keeping up with all the things that you're doing, right? Uh, and so, uh, but the city of brotherly love, uh, you know, love is one of the most important things that you can develop in your life. Amen. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, turn over to, to the book of Galatians. You know, I don't know that you can really teach too much about love because, you know, usually when uh, people think about love, they think about the emotion of love, right? The, the emotion of fondness. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a, human, uh, and a, a human emotion, and it's fine, right? But it's not the love of God, right? The love of God is, is from the original language, the agape love, right? It's for God so loved the world. So it's a, wor- it's a love that's not selfish. Uh, and, uh, you know, somebody has said, well, there's no love like the love of a mother. That sounds good, except it's not true. Because the love of a mother is the emotion of love that she has for her children. And that's great. It's fine. But it's not the love of God, right? It's the love of, the love of emotions. And the problem with, with emotional love is... It can change depending on the weather. Well, I love you. Well, I don't love you anymore. How many people have you heard uh, get divorced? Well, I just don't love them anymore. That's an emotional love, right? That, that will last as long as, you know, there's no wrinkles or no bad hair or no bad breath, right? And, but if any of those things show up, it's over, right? Uh, and, and um, you know, I told you when I was in kindergarten, I, was, uh, I had a girlfriend in kindergarten. And, and uh, one day she came to school with pigtails. And it was over. Just like that. I mean, just, you know, I cut her off, you know, because I didn't like pigtails, I guess. You know, I don't really know what was wrong with it in particular, but to just, you know, I mean, the first day before that, you know, I was in love with her as a kindergarten, you know, and planning on marrying her, you know, whatever. And, uh, and uh, the next day, it's over, right? Uh, and so, you know, it, it can turn just like that. Uh, and, and married couples say that all the time. I just don't love them anymore. Well, the love of God, it, 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 where is the love of God right now in your life? Romans 5, 5 said it's been shed abroad in your heart. Amen. So d- does every Christian have the capacity to walk in the love of God? Uh, uh, so nobody could ever say, I just can't love them. Not as a Christian, you can't. Not technically, because you have the love of God right now. Now, the love is, according to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Um, in fact, we're, I was going to look at uh, uh, verse 6 here, but if you just flip over one page... Uh, and look at verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? He goes on and lists the other eight of them after that. But the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. So uh, when you get born again, the Bible says that God places in you the love of God. Uh, And that love uh, can grow because it's a fruit, right? So fruit can grow and increase and multiply. So you can walk more in the love of God every day. So uh, when people say things like, I just can't love them anymore. That technically it's not true because really what they're saying is, is I can't love them anymore. So therefore, I'm not at fault for not loving them. It's not my fault that I can't love them. It's their fault. But if the Bible says you have the love of God, how capable is the love of God? Can it ever run out? Can you ever say, you know, I can't take it anymore? Uh, You know, not that you have to take it. You know, the love of God will figure out for you not to have to take it. But but people say, I just can't put up with it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. But the love of God can never say that. The love of God is infinite. There's no limit to the love of God. But people always put limits on God because they don't want any, any uh, responsibility for their own actions. Because really what they're saying is, because we have a free will, 
Lord, I know, you, I know I have the love of God shed abroad in my heart, but I don't want to yield to it anymore. I want to do what I want to do. And I want to leave this situation, whatever it is. I want to, I want to fight back. I want to say things. I want to do things that I shouldn't do. Uh, and, it, and it's because I do not want to yield to your love anymore. Now, that would be the most accurate thing to say. But we don't want to say that because it makes us look bad, right? Because if I say, well, it's, my, it's all my fault that I did that or I said that, uh, because we love to say, well, they made me do it, right? They made me mad. Is that technically true? Not technically true, because if the love of God is in you, who could actually make you mad? Nobody. So is the love of God in you? It is, because the Bible says in Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost given to you. So technically, you can never say, well, they made me mad. Accurately, you should say, I chose to get mad uh, based on what they did or said. Well, that would be correct. But we don't like that because that, again, makes us look bad, right? Well, I chose to get mad. Well, if, see, if I say it's not my fault, well, then I'm not guilty. But if I say it was my fault, then I am guilty. But the, the thing is, you're still guilty either way. Didn't Jesus say, I know thy works? He knows your works. And if you go to him and say, Lord, I, you know, they may be mad. He'd be like, just open up your Bible. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, what you say? Read it. Uh, and you say, Lord, I, no, no, just read it. It'll say, uh, Lord, uh, it says your love has been shed abroad in my, my, in my heart. Okay, turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Well, Lord, I, no, no, just turn. Be quiet. Turn. I don't know if he'll say shut up or not, you know. If he's from Chicago, he'll say shut up, right? Uh, turn, read verse 22. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. So uh, where does love reside right now? City of brotherly love, right? I mean, the, the, the whole church uh, apparently was known for the love of God. I know thy works, right? Uh, and so you know, the love of God... Uh, now, the world is always trying to define to the church what love should be. And this is where we get into trouble because uh, a lot of times we'll take up what the world thinks love is. The world thinks love is only uh, accepting people and allow them to be exactly the same way they are and never help them change. Uh, and, and feeding people and clothing people. Uh, but, but love is not, hey, uh, you know, you might not want to do that over there. That's not the love of God. But, you know, really, if you understand the love of God, the love of God always wants the best for you, period. And so if you're in sin, what's the best thing for you? Get out of that sin, right? See, it's not the best for me, it's the best for you. Uh, and, and so a lot of times we think, well, love is just accepting people for who they are. Not if they're crazy. You know, if they're, if they're in sin, you're not accepting of that. Now, the love of God doesn't go beat them up over the side of the head either, right? Uh, oh, you know, you're a horrible person. Well, how has that helped them? Has that helped them improve? Has that helped them get out of what they're in? No, the love of God always wants the best for everybody and we'll find out the best way to, to get them to that point. Amen. Uh, so many people love to point their crooked little fingers at everybody and correct them and rebuke them for everything they're doing as if they're the sheriff of the body of Christ. And some people think they're the sheriff, right? The little Barney Fife got one little bullet in their pocket, you know, running around, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you all the things wrong in your life. Uh, uh, is that the love of God? Love of God is always the best. So what's the best for that person right now? See, if that person couldn't handle a rebuke about their sin, then would it be best to rebuke them about their sin? No. Uh, sometimes the, the best thing for them to do is pray for them. Lord, help them see. Uh, and, and that may be what, what you have to do for a season. Uh, if you just run around with, with, uh, with uh, a, a cannon every time and blast people out of the water every time they make a mistake, how are you helping anybody? 
Uh, you're not really helping anybody. Amen. And so he said here in Galatians chapter five, he says in verse six, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which works by what? By love. So the thing that empowers your faith is the love of God. And that's one of the most powerful verses, I think, in, in the Bible, especially for people who love faith, right? Don't we love faith? We all love faith, right? We, don't we want more faith? We can get more faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we're all the time reading the word of God. Lord, if I read, just read the word of God more, I'll get more faith. And, and you may. But the thing that empowers your faith is the love of God. So if you're really harsh, you know, if you're just a real cruel person, you know, unkind person, uh, not exhibiting the love of God, uh, you can know all the, the Bible verses back and forth. Uh, you know, I remember one time somebody was kind of, they're kind of bragging to me, you know, uh, I can quote the entire book of Ephesians. I quote the entire book of Ephesians. Said, wow, that's really impressive. Why don't you do the book of Ephesians instead of quoting the book of Ephesians, right? Because if you do the book of Ephesians, it'd be better off than just being a quoted, you know. So who cares what you can quote, right? Uh, do it is much better than quoting it, amen? I understand you got to know it to, to some extent to do it. But, uh, I mean, if, if, unless you know, you know, you don't have to know uh, the exact book, chapter, and verse. You just have to know generally what it says, amen? Uh, and so, so the love of God is one of the most important things that you can develop in your life. Again, not as the world defines it, because the world says, well, church, you're supposed to love people, but don't ever tell them about their sin, because that wouldn't be love. The very thing about love would be to get people out of their sin, because sin's going to lead to death. So why wouldn't we want to get them out of that sin? Just accept people for the way they are. You know, I, was, I went to a, a youth meeting one time, and they had all the youth kind of get testifying, and, and a bunch of youth came up and said, well, you know, I just thank God that he accepts me the, the way that I am. And although that's technically true, the minute you say, uh, uh, Lord, I want you in my life, he'll accept you just the way you are. The, the minute you, you, but the minute you accept him into your life, he's going to say, now here's a list of things that change. Because do you look just like the Lord Jesus? Do you sign like the Lord Jesus? Do you act like the Lord Jesus? So unless you think you've arrived, he's, he, he will not allow you to say the way that you are. He will always be on your case. Uh, you know, in fact, I, I asked the Lord one time, so Lord, are you hard on everybody like you are on me? Because it seems like sometimes you just for seasons, he'll be like, yeah, this right here. No, that right there. No, that right there. You got to straighten up. That right there. You know, don't ever say that again. You know, that attitude right there. Don't know. That, how you, what you said to your wife, you just, no, you know, no. It just, it's just all the time. Uh, and, and I think that should be a normal, that's not in condemnation. He's not beating you up, but I don't look like the Lord Jesus yet. I mean, I'm really close, but you know, I don't look like him yet. Right. Uh, and until I look like him, then there's more growth for me to do. There's more things I've got to change. So, so he is not accepting me the way that I am. He did when I got born again, but once now that I'm born again, I've established a relationship with him. It, it's, Hey, you don't look like me yet. There's some changing to do. So this whole thing, I, you know, I thank God that he accepted me the way that I am. See, that's worldly love, right? Worldly love says, I don't care how you live. You know, I'm going to let you stay the way that you are. That's worldly love. Bible love is, yeah, uh, God loves you. Here's some, some things to do to make your life better. Stop thinking that. Stop saying that. Stop doing that. Uh, and so, so don't buy into that, the worldly definition of love, right? Worldly definition of love allows you to stay exactly the way you are, and nobody will ever confront you. And, and that's really, uh, that's where the world is trying to get to because uh, they want no constraint on their flesh. They want nobody to say, hey, that right there is wrong. You remember when John the Baptist uh, told uh, Herod that he can't have his brother's wife? Uh, was he glad about that? No, what did he do? Cut his head off, right? 
Uh, and nothing's changed since then. As, as soon as a person of God says, uh, hey, that right there is wrong, somebody's going to try and take them out uh, because they hate any constraints on their flesh. Now, see, uh, God's just the opposite. He wants 100% constraint on your flesh and no constraint on your spirit, right? Uh, the world is the is opposite from that. They want 100% uh, freedom in their flesh to do what they want, no constraints, and, and to completely and totally suppress their spirits and constrain their spirits. Uh, and so uh, the love of God is always trying to free your spirit and constrain, constrain your flesh. The world's act, uh, definition of love is always trying to constrain your spirit and to free your flesh to live however it wants to. Uh, and it's not going to work out that way. Uh, and so, but even, even in, in the, the, the church there at Philadelphia, so we go back to, to chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, um, he said, I know that I works. You've got a little bit of strength. Uh, you've kept his word. You've not denied his name. Uh, and uh, you kept the word of his patience. Uh, and then he told them what they need to do. He said, hold fast. So this, uh, for them, that's the only thing he told them to do is hold fast. Uh, and sometimes that's really all you got to do is stay the course, right? Stay, do, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, don't change anything. Just keep doing what you're doing. And that's what he told the church at Philadelphia. Keep doing what you're doing, right? Hold fast. And, and we had gone through, we're not going to go through them all again uh, to, uh, about holding fast. But I'll just read, read the one verse we mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says in verse 21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. So there is effort, right? Uh, you ever been in a tug of war? Remember, you go through the, uh, during school, you do the tug of wars, right? And one side, you know, in the, in the middle is always the mud puddle. And, and uh, you know, if one side, if their grip on the, now they may be plenty strong enough, right? They may have all the weight, but if their grip slips on that rope, then they've lost, right? Then, then they'll just get pulled right into the, into the mud pit there. Uh, and so holding fast is, is helpful that, that when you believe something of faith, the, the world's going to come and say, you know, that's not right. You don't need to believe that. What are they trying to get you to do? Let go of that, right? Let go. You know, that, you, you know your, your desire for uh, uh, believing in healing, you know, that ain't so. Uh, what are they trying to get you to do? To let go, right? Because you believe it right up until they said that. Uh, amen. Uh, you know, we had a little fellow there who got offended because we had a, uh, a sign outside about divine uh, healing. Right. Well, you know, why don't you go up to the hospital and and, and get everybody out of the hospital? Well, why don't you? Well, I mean, you know, how come you're not doing that? Uh, but what's he trying to do? He's trying to get us to let go of the doctrine of healing. Right. By offending it, by getting offended and saying, you know, some snide remark. But of course, you know, he's just an amateur. Didn't even pay any attention to it. Uh, but uh, the, sometimes uh, there's nothing to change. Right. The Church of Philadelphia. There was nothing really to change. Do what you're doing. Stay the course. Keep on going. Amen. He said, you've got a little strength. And, and apparently this little strength was sufficient to make it through. Right. In the midst of tribulation. Because didn't he say, we read in John 16, that in the world you shall have tribulation. So there was tribulation going on in there. Um, and so he even talked about the synagogue of Satan there with the, with the church at Philadelphia. So, you know, there are people who are trying to, to destroy you. Uh, and uh, that will happen all the days of your life, especially the more that you walk by faith, uh, remember what Jesus said, that persecution ariseth immediately for what sake? The word's sake. So every time you get more word in your life, the devil's going to try to persecute that right out of your life. Uh, and remember the four soils, right? Some of them just, they, they were good for a little while, but then 
the sun came out and, and, uh, and burned them all up because they had no root. They didn't hold fast. Uh, and so the, the devil's always trying to find out, hey, you're going to let go of what you believe. Are you going to let go of, of your faith? Are you going to let go of your belief in healing? Uh, and, you know, I've talked to a lot of people over years, just your heart breaks because, you know, you know this person years ago, they're a person of faith, person of the Holy Ghost, person of speaking in tongues. And you find, well, I don't, I don't believe in that tongue stuff anymore. I don't believe in that faith stuff anymore. Uh, you know, that healing stuff, you know, it's just, it's all wrong. And, and what happened? Well, I don't know what happened, but usually it's some event, something occurred in their life that caused them to let go. Uh, either something that somebody said or something that somebody did or something that, something, uh, something that happened to them caused them to let go. They were fine before, but after that event occurred, then they let go. And Jesus said, hold fast. Sometimes you've got to hang on, like, right? Remember what we said, like a hair and a biscuit and hang on, right? Uh, all the way to the end. Uh, and, and, so, and, and that's all they had to do. That's all the church at uh, Philadelphia had to do was to hang on. Uh, and so, and, and then he encouraged them, hey, there's good things that are going to happen. You know, I'm going to uh, uh, make you a pillar. Uh, you're going to stay in the temple. I'm going to write a bunch of things about your name uh, he, uh, and then uh, uh, write your na- the name of God, the name of the city, uh, write upon him my new name. So uh, there, there's benefits and blessings to doing and staying the course. Amen. There's blessings in following the plan of God. Uh, amen. Uh, and then, um, uh, well, we're about out of time there. Um, uh, we can read a, a little bit about the, uh, the church at Laodicea there. Uh, we may have to finish it up next week. Let, let's uh, go back to the book of Revelation chapter 3 there. Um, uh, now, up to now, right, we've, uh, we've the first five churches, some good things, some bad things. Church number six, just some good things, right? Nothing to straighten up, just stay the course, right? And then in, uh, we get to the church at Laodicea. Uh, he said, unto the angel, in verse 14 of chapter 3, unto the angel of the church at Laodicea, right? These things saith the amen, the faithful, and the, and the true witness. You know, he, he's reminding them that he's true. He's reminding them that he's faithful because sometimes if the Lord rebukes you, well, that ain't so. You ever argue with God? Well, I didn't do that. Really, you didn't, God said you did it, but you said you didn't do that. Uh, how well you reckon that's going to work out. Uh, he's the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. Uh, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, so, you know, this is similar to the member of the church at Sardis. He said that you have a, you have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. Uh, and so uh, what, what is the church at Laodicea saying here? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knoweth not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Uh, and so it's pretty harsh words against the church, right? Uh, and this is similar to the church at Sardis that you know, sometimes we want to develop a, a persona of, about ourselves, right? That here's my reputation. Here's what I'm really like. And they said the church at Laodicea said that you're rich. Look at all these things we've got, right? We've got all these things. Uh, and I don't know any, I, I have no need of anything right now. And Jesus said, but in reality, you're wretched and miserable and poor. It's interesting because he, they said they were rich, but he said, in reality, you're poor. Uh, and... You know, one of the things that, that I have observed in a church that, that uh, you know, it, I guess it bothers me a little bit because, 
you know, when I think about my, think about my life, you know, my heroes are people like Brother Hagen and Smith Wilgersworth and Lester Sumrall and, you know, people like that, uh, that, uh, you know, Elijah. I mean, in the Bible, one of my favorite uh, heroes is Moses. You know, I love Moses. I love his attitude and his heart, you know, and David and, you know, the people that, that uh, although they suffered, st- stayed the course, right? Uh, and, but then I, I talk to people and I say, oh, yeah, that guy over there, he's so rich, you know. Uh, you know, I want to be just like him. But he got his wealth by hook and crook, right? He, he, he was horrible to his family and lied and cheated and steal, you know. Uh, you know, people like Bill Gates is worth $80 billion or something like that. Uh, and, um, you know, they just said that he's getting divorced now. And, uh, uh, but he's been married for like 30 years. But every year he'd go off with this, with this a girlfriend that he had before he got married. And they'd go off to spend a weekend together, you know. And you think there was any hanky I mean, I don't know, but, you know. You think my wife would be okay if I went to spend a weekend with my ex-girlfriend? I don't think that'd go over really good, right? You know, but, you know, if you got $80 billion, you can do those kinds of things. Uh, well, why would I want to be like that? You want to be like that? I want to be like the $80 billion. Well, you know, if you followed his, and, and you know, I've known about him for many years, followed that type of industry, uh, you know, it's kind of a terrible uh, thing. You know, he did all kinds of things that were shady and crooked and underhanded and lying, cheating, steal kind of stuff. Do I want to be like that? You know, it's it just, why, why is that anybody's hero? Right? There's nothing about him other than his bank account that anybody wants. Uh, he, he, how much money do you think he's given to the church, to the Lord Jesus, to the work of the gospel? He ain't given any money to the, ch- to the church, to the, the work of the gospel. Uh, and so why is that guy anybody's hero, right? Now, I mean, I, you know, it's not about the conspiracy theories, all kinds of conspiracies about him, you know. That's a whole other discussion. But, uh, but see, people look at that and go, well, that's the way I want to be. And Jesus said, you know, when he'll look at somebody like a Bill Gates, you know, and I'm not mad at Bill Gates, but he'll say well, he's poor. Why? Because he's not done a thing to advance the kingdom of heaven. Not a single thing, right? He's poor. You know, remember Stephen Hawking, you know, he was that brilliant um, uh, astrophysicist. Uh, and he didn't believe in God. Well, then he, I mean, he may be brilliant at astrophysics, but he's dumb as a rock, right? Why do I want, why do I want to be like him? I want to be like people that, you know, I, I met a pastor one time from Belarus, uh, and I spent a week with him and just, you know, he made an impression on my life. And nobody may ever hear about this pastor, ever. I mean, he said, he said, I've got, I've got 11 people in my church. He said, I've been pastoring his church for, you know, like about that time, a dozen years now. It's been like 20 years. He's been pastoring his church of 11 people and just thrilled. But you could just, you know, the love of God was just, he just walked in the love of God. You know, you bump up him and love would just ooze out of him. Uh, and, and, you know, somebody like that, I, I want to be like that. You know, that maybe nobody ever hears about it, sees about it, but that he knows God. Now, I want to be like that. Amen. Somebody who knows God. I, you know, I don't want to be like somebody who doesn't know God and has these things. Uh, and he said, you, you say you're rich, but you're really poor. You say you've got all these goods and you have no need, no need, of, no, you have need of nothing. But in reality, you're wretched. That's tough right there. Wretched. Can you imagine you're wretched? You know, that's tough right there. Miserable. You, you know, you ever, you ever seen people who put on a face that they've got everything, got their whole act together, but they're really miserable people? Uh, and poor and blind. You know, being blind is one of the most difficult things to overcome because you don't even know you're blind, right? How do you know uh, that you can't see? You know, if you're born blind, how would you ever know? Uh, you know, anybody ever read after like uh, Helen Keller and, and her story, you know, she was born blind and deaf. How would she ever figure things out? I mean, she did, right? She's brilliant. I mean, I don't know how, how that worked, you know. I mean, how did she figure out what a cow was, right? 
but she could she could uh, she made it through life is pretty amazing right but most people when they're blind they don't even know it you know how how do you explain to a blind person what a tree is you know how do you explain to a blind person what a cow or dog is right uh and naked you know they they the um Anybody remember the, the uh, st- it's an old children's story. It was called The Emperor's New Clothes. Anybody remember that story? It, it's, it's one of these stories that, you know, is, is just you know, kind of biblical principles. Is really talking about this principle right here. Uh, but it, it's, it's been one of the, the uh, an interesting story because it, there's a lot of wisdom in it. Uh, uh, but the story was there was a king, you know, and he was thought a lot of himself. Uh, and he thought it was impressive, you know. And, and, uh, uh, and so he wanted to have the best clothes ever. Uh, and so, uh, so the, this uh, this con artist said, "I can make you the best clothes ever." And he said, "In fact, they're going to be so so amazing that only people, only certain kinds of people, can even see it. You know, the riffraff they can't they won't even be able to see it. It's going to be so spectacular they can't even see it. You know, but uh, but the, the important people, the, the you know the the well-to-do people, they'll be able to see this. Uh, and so, uh, so he so it was a, but it was a con job, right? So, so they, they get there, and the day he, he gets the king dressed, quote, you know, dressed, and the king walks down the street. And he's really naked, but, you know, but because the, the guy, the con artist, started telling all the people, hey, uh, if you're special, you can see the clothes. But if you're not special, you won't be able to see them. Uh, and so he's walking down, and all the people are going, oh, aren't those beautiful clothes? Oh, look at those beautiful clothes. Uh, and, and finally, one child goes, why is the king naked? <laughs> and so you know the whole moral of the story is you know he thought he was arrayed in all this beauty and he thought he was something but in reality he was just naked but because nobody wanted to say anything because you know then they would look bad well i can't see it so i must be one of those bad people that can't see these beautiful clothes so i'm gonna lie and say uh and so me and jared you know we, we kind of uh we'll, we'll look at a situation with emperor's new clothes right uh because uh people sometimes will, will put on like there's something like they're all that and a bag of chips, but they're really nothing, right? There's, there's, no, there's no reality there, right? Proverbs talks about clouds and wind with no rain. People have being showy, right, and, and, and um, acting like they're all that, and there's really no substance to their life. And Jesus said that's what, that's what this church at Laodicea was. There's no substance in their life. Uh, and and that's, that's, that would be tough, right? I mean, if Jesus said that you're poor, that you're wretched and miserable and poor, and blind and naked he said these these things are true but you don't know any of them that, that's a tough place for a christian to be now he's is he talking to the church or to the world he's talking to the church right so so what would you have to do to get to this particular place in the church I mean, what would you you know it, it, that'd be a sad place to be right it would be a sad place to get to where uh that, that uh, you think you're all this and in reality you're all that uh, and are there churches like that today? There are plenty of churches like that today because why did he write this? Because it's going on today, right? All of these things that he wrote in these seven churches, they're all going on today. Some churches are the Philadelphia church, right? Uh, and some churches are the Laodicean church. Uh, and uh, I know we've got to go. We've got just a couple more things we'll, we'll say about it. But he said, up, up there, we said, I know thy works that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that you were hot or cold or cold or hot there. Uh, but they're lukewarm. And um, if you remember back in the Old Testament, remember when they were in the wilderness, right? They left Egypt. They were in the wilderness, so it's a desert area. And so what was over them uh, during 
uh, the day. Cloud by day and what was, what was by them at night? Fire by night, right? So uh, the reason why, because the cloud was there, because they were hot. Uh, and the reason why the fire was there, because at night, deserts get cold. There's no way for it to sustain the heat, to, to hold the heat in. So it gets cold at night. Uh, and they knew that. And so they depended on, they needed God in their life because they knew in the heat of the day, I need the Lord. In the cold at night, I need the Lord. But see, if, if you've got all your needs met and you think you don't need the Lord anymore, and that's where the church at Laodicea had gotten. They, they had said they've got all these things. I have need of nothing. I don't even need the Lord. And he said, it makes me sick. It makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. That's tough, right? Because we should all know, even if we're a billionaire, man, I need the Lord. I need the Lord every day. I need the Lord to get up out of bed. I need the Lord to, to know uh, how to breathe. I need the Lord every day. I cannot make it without the Lord. And that desperation is the way we need to stay all of our lives. No matter how important we get, no matter how big our lives are, we always need to recognize, I need the Lord. And the church at Laodicea got to a point where we don't need nothing. Look at us. We've got everything we need, right? Uh, and uh, But who got it for you? How did you get it? Did the Lord give you the wisdom to get it, the power to get it, the, the anointing and the blessing to get it? Uh, and the church had forgotten that and got to a point where they gotten so bad the Lord said, you're completely blind. You're not anywhere you think you are. Uh, and that, that's tough, right? And the, and the reason is, the root of it is verse 15, that uh, you're neither hot nor cold. Uh, and so whatever you are, you know, and the Lord didn't say being cold was bad. He didn't, he's not talking about being cold-hearted, right? Cold against the Lord. He just said, whatever you are, whatever I made you to be, you need to recognize you need me in your life. So maybe you're a cold person. I don't mean cold in a sense of, uh, unkind or hard-hearted just you know that's just that's just you right uh, and, and whatever that means that that's you and if you're a hot person uh, whatever that means that's you uh, know that you need the Lord in your life because without the Lord whatever he's called you to be will not be successful uh, and the church had missed had missed that right and and he counseled them right he said he said well then here's here's what you need to fix uh, I counsel thee to buy of buy of me Gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. So they thought they were rich, but they weren't rich. White raiment that thou mayest be closed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And, it, uh, and he says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, did he rebuke and chasten them here? He did. Uh, did he put sickness and disease on them here? No. What did he do? He said words to them, right? Uh, and so is that how the Lord's going to chasten and rebuke you by saying words? Now, these are stout words, right? These are tough words. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, and we could go through all these things, but um, uh, we're not going to go through all the details of that. Uh, but he says, uh, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Uh, now, here's the response. If I rebuke and chasten you, your response should be, be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, a lot of times people repent without zeal. They repent kicking and, kicking and screaming, dragging their heels. Well, I shouldn't have to repent. You know, I didn't really do anything wrong. You know, they made me do it. You know, it's not my fault. You know, I, I just, you know, uh, he said, be zealous. Yeah, I'll repent. Lord, I did wrong. It was me. It wasn't anybody else. I did it. And Lord, I'm going to change. Uh, and that's, that's, the, that's the zeal the Lord wants. When we, when we need to repent, he wants us to be zealous, to be quick to repent, be aggressive about repenting, and don't care, well, well, if I repent, somebody's going to know I, I did wrong. What, you know, what's that got to do with anything, right? 
A lot of times people won't repent because if they repent, they've got to change course of direction. Now they think, what's well, going to make me look bad? Don't ever be concerned about uh, what somebody thinks about your repentance. Because, you know, for me, how, how many times have I told you things that I've done wrong? You know, and how the Lord rebuked me and how I had to repent. Now, I've told you many stories of, of that over the years. Uh, and, uh, well, you know, if I tell that, then, you, you know, you're not going to think that much about me because I made that mistake. I mean, I'm going to repent whether you think, think of me good or bad. Amen. Uh, and so, and really true repentance, I can tell you once I've repented, I don't care if you think bad about me because I made that mistake to begin with. Because aren't you human? Haven't you made mistakes? Wouldn't you, rather, wouldn't you much rather me tell you my mistakes than me tell you your mistakes, right? That'd be a lot better off, right? Uh, and so he should be zealous, therefore, and repent. So, yeah, he did rebuke them strongly. No good things about the church at Laodicea. Harsh words, right? You're miserable, wretched, blind, naked. That's tough words from the, from the, from the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? But did he say, get out of my face, I never want to see you again? No, he should be zealous and repent. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes you can even close the door on the Lord in your life. Now, he didn't say they've missed God, they're going to hell or anything like that. But, you know, in that area of your life, you just don't want God to deal with you. Uh, and he said, he said, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stand there. How long do you reckon he'll stand there till forever? If he has to. Right. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Now, he's talking about the church needs to repent. Right? If you open the door, he will come in. How many times we, we, we uh, condemn people right into hell in the church? And yet Jesus standing at the door, waiting for them to, to open the door. He, he said, I'll come, I'll come in and eat dinner with you. Well, you shouldn't even eat dinner with somebody like that. Jesus said he would. He said he'll eat dinner with the church that's poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. Uh, amen? Uh, so what should you do? Eat with the poor and miserable and blind and wretched and naked, right? Uh, if, if now I understand, you know, if they don't want to repent, then you're still locked out. Amen. Uh, and then he says uh, uh, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Uh, so uh, is there value to overcome? Yeah, you get to sit on the throne of God. Pretty good deal right there. Right. And then he repeats the same thing that he told all seven churches. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. But the Spirit saith unto the children. Uh, and this, this last verse, verse 22, is the reason why so many Christians fail. Because they just will not hear. You ever tried to talk to somebody? They just will not hear. Yeah, but God says you have love. I can't love. But God says you have love. I, I can't do it. See, they're not hearing. You're not hearing what I'm saying. You have the love of God right now. You have the capacity to overcome. You have the ability to overcome. Well, nobody can do that. Then you're not hearing. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, so, I, so I never feel bad uh, as far as uh, uh, preaching. You know, I, I do. You know, sometimes I want people to overcome and I see them not overcoming, you know, and I hate it for them. Uh, but I don't feel like I'm a failure. I feel like uh, the word of God, it, it does what it says he does. Right. If you receive the word of God, you'll overcome. But sometimes people just have they, they just can't hear. Uh, and uh, and of course, uh, he said this particular church can neither hear nor can they see. Uh, and so, uh, but is there redemption for this church? There is. He said, I'm sending at the door knocking right now. Right now. He said, if you just open it up a, a hair, I'll come on in. Uh, and he said, be zealous and repent. Uh, and, that's, and that's one of the, the best encouragements that I think he could give to a, a church or any of us that, that have done wrong. 
be zealous and repent. Uh, is there any time limit? Did he say, you know, if you've done this one more time, that's it? Uh, you know, so many times we want to uh, pre- uh, preach people right into hell in the church and not have compassion on them for the things they've done wrong, you know. Uh, we're not excusing it. We're not making light of it. We're not telling it's okay. But sometimes uh, we need you to have compassion on people and, and give them space to repent. Didn't even tell, remember Jezebel over in the earlier church, right? I think it was at church of Thyatira. Jezebel, what did he say about her? I gave her what? Space to repent, right? Uh, even Jezebel, the one leading them into, into sin, right? Horrible sin. Uh, he said, I gave her space to repent. And the church at Laodicea, he's given them space to repent. So uh, in all of these things, uh, he said, every one of them, uh, you can overcome. And every one of them, if you overcome, there's blessings in overcoming. See, so uh, the nice thing about overcoming is if you overcome a sin, overcome a habit, overcome, you know, uh, what people have tried to do to you or say to you, you get the blessing of that overcoming, but then you also get other blessings from the Lord. He's getting all kinds of lists of things that he said comes about because you overcome. So there's value in serving the Lord. Sometimes we don't believe that, but there is. There, there is treasure laid up for you in heaven just because you overcome. So it's not just because, you know, a lot of times we think we get blessings to heaven because we go and feed the poor and clothe the naked. And there are blessings in that, right? Doing the things that God's told us to do, there's blessings. But there's also a blessing of just operating by faith, living by faith, overcoming by faith. There is value in your life that comes about because of doing that. Uh, and so we should all be encouraged that, Lord, I'm going to overcome. Because I've overcome, it's going to be just not just the overcoming event itself, but also blessings come into my life because I've overcome, because I've chosen to operate by faith. And, and so if you need to do repenting, then be like the church at Laodicea and be zealous. That's what the Lord encouraged them. Be zealous and overcome and repent. Uh, and, um, and then all these wonderful things will happen for you. Amen. Uh, and the very last thing he said to the, all the churches, if you've got an ear to hear, then do what? than hear, right? So do we all have an ear to hear? Well, we all have an ear to hear. We all have the capacity to hear, right? He said, then hear. Uh, and that's something that you can only do by choice, amen? And, but if you do it, great blessings uh, will come your way and great overcoming power will come your way as well, amen? So let's uh, pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So Father, we thank you for the word of God. Father, we thank you that uh, in all these cases, you instructed every single church to, uh, to have ears to hear and then to use those ears to actually hear what you're saying. So, Father, we choose to hear. We choose in our lives, Father, when there's things that you instruct us to do or to change or to overcome, uh, to stop doing or to start doing, whatever it is, Father, we'll choose to hear. And if we hear, Father, then we'll overcome. And if there's repenting that needs to happen, Father, we will do it with zeal. Father, we never want to say that we're one way and we're actually like uh, another way, like a couple of the churches that you mentioned, Father. We want to be exactly who we are uh, inside and out. And so, Father, we thank you that you help us with that. And you'll, you'll be a blessing to us, Father. You'll instruct. And sometimes, Father, you will correct and you will chastise. But even when you do that, Father, you'll stand at the door and knock. And you'll come in and have dinner with us. Not forsake us, not kick us to the curb, Father. But you will uh, fellowship with us even uh, when we've done wrong. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, we give you all praise and honor for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And one of the things you can learn from, from these seven churches is, uh, you know, they've all got good things. 
uh, well, not all, right? All but Laodicea, right? All but Laodicea have got good things, uh, and, and um, all but Philadelphia had bad things, right? Uh, so, you know, you can find a little bit of yourself probably in every one of those churches. And that, I think that's why he chose seven different churches, because he gave a, a wide spectrum of things that they were dealing with. And, you know, you could probably find some things from many of the churches in your life. So it's not just, well, I'm exactly like this church or I'm exactly like that church. That wasn't the point of writing it. Uh, I think the reason why he wrote it that way is everybody's probably got some of those things in their lives somewhere from all those different churches, good and bad, that they can straighten up or, or like he said, uh, to hang on to them, right? Keep on doing the things you're doing. Don't even change it. Uh, recognize that that was a good thing that the Lord said about that church. Hang on to that thing, amen? And don't change a single thing about it. So now come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And so we'll, we'll have our church meal here in just a minute. And then, uh, of course, uh, we got healing school this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And uh, uh, it's an end of an era, right? We finished up uh, Brother Balsworth's book, on Christ the Healer. Uh, and uh, now we're picking up uh, Lillian B. Yeoman's book. Uh, and so we'll introduce her uh, this afternoon. And, uh, of course, she's not been with us for, for many years now. Um, she passed, I think, back in the 40s. Uh, but um, she had a great testimony and learned a lot about healing. Uh, and so it'll be good to go through that book. There's already other books I'm looking at that just so many good books about, uh, about healing that got good revelation that uh, will be valuable to us to learn. Uh, and the nice thing about it is because, uh, you know, she passed in the 40s. There has been progressive revelation we've gotten since then that we can go through, well, you know, she says this, but let's adjust that to, to be more accurate, right? Uh, and so we're not there to criticize or to, to rebuke, but, but uh, we can learn the things that we can learn, and we can uh, also some things that maybe have said that we, we don't say anymore, right, or we don't do anymore. So uh, I think it's helpful to us to look at that, amen? So uh, be blessed. Uh, uh, we got anything else we could do? Well, we pray for our food. And then uh, we'll eat. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the the time to gather together in fellowship with your people. And, Father, we thank you that according to your word, that our food has blessed our bodies and sanctified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. All right. Uh, Let's let's, uh, get ready to eat.